0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. <clears throat> it's so 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 wonderful to be with you. Whenever I say that, I really mean it. It's good to find myself, ourself, here with one another. Um, you know, if it was the inclement weather that drove you inside today, I'll receive that still. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Um, a couple of things before we start. Uh, the first is, <clears throat> it's so interesting to have a a little one that's running back and forth now because I have been teaching, preaching at the Refuge Church since 2008, and uh, most of that time had no kids, and yet we had kids. Uh, maybe it was Sydney running back then, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, But what we would always say is if you hear kids crying or you see kids, they are not just those kids, they are our kids. So I will remind you that as you see my child running, that uh, (laughs) they are our kids. And um, just to remember that, you know, oftentimes we want our own little sacred time, our own little sacred space, but God has saved us into community, and that community involves little crying ones sometimes. We say yes and amen to that. Uh, the second thing is that I, um, I, I think I'm doing well today. Uh, today is the anniversary of my dad's passing. And so there's been just kind of sparks of emotion throughout the day. And, uh, and I want to offer that both for you to just remind, uh, remember my family in prayer today. And um, yeah, and I, I would also encourage you, <clears throat> it's okay if you've already done this, but instead of asking how we're doing to maybe just share a story with us, um and, and if you know somebody who's grieving you know it's it's hard to know what to do when someone says how are you doing um it's hard to reflect on that but if you just want to say man i remember dave and i really loved him or i, I remember he always said the same old dad joke to me and uh, i always pretended like it was funny whatever it is um would would invite that sound good okay let's uh, offer just a prayer of confession this morning And uh, I'll do that for the church, and then I'll give you time to do that for yourself. Oh Father, our eternal Father, that we know the creation of the world is just as present to you as this present moment. You live outside in time and space, and yet we so often try to just bottle you into the crazy moments we live in. And yet you're always bigger. And yet our moments matter to you. What we do, as we'll learn today in Ephesians, what we do matters to you. Even though you are eternal and all-powerful, it matters how we treat our own bodies and how we treat those around us. How we live and how we love. And, um, because we are Yours. Uh, This earth and everything in it is yours. You're the rightful owner because you're creator. And so I pray that we'll just see it in that context today, the right, true context. God, we confess that we don't often live that truth. We get so, so occupied with what's very important to me now, the loudest voice now, we confess we don't listen to your word, your voice. Give us ears to hear you today and hearts that respond with obedience. Go ahead and take some time just yourself to pray. Thank you for turning your ear to us. We know that you are excited to forgive us. That's what you want. You want to show mercy. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon intro to this series is this. God is calling us to be a different kind of people, a holy people. Holiness is a quality that uniquely belongs to God. Being a different people means that our primary identity is part of God's holy family. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us instructions on how to live as holy people in a world that often doesn't like our kind of different. Our kind of different sometimes uh, isn't likable because we don't do it well. Uh, I get the um, challenge <laughs> privilege of running several organizations. I get to uh, run the Coffee Oasis, be a part of leading that, and then um, I get the opportunity to pastor refuge church and um, in partnership with my wife, You know, we lead our little family. And I found myself, <laughs> it was humorous looking back on even just this last week, and times that I had to say, oh, I'm so sorry, but we don't do that here. I know that's what you experienced. For example, someone calling our office and saying that, I called this location, talked to this person, and they were so rude to me. And I would say, I'm so sorry. That, we wanna be kind people, you know, one of our core values at coffee waste is compassion. (laughs) we don't do that here. Like that's that's not something we do. I've had people call about dress code. Hey, I went to one of your your coffee shops and one of your brises was basically wearing a bikini top. I was like, we don't do that. You know, I'm so sorry. You know, whether it's a call or someone sending a message, uh, Elliot, so passionate, so passionate, loves his little sister, and that sometimes looks like headbutting. And so, you know, this is what you do. You you Get down and it is all love. There's no aggression. It's just him wanting to express all his love through his forehead. And and so what do you do? You get down here, this is not what we do as a family. I heard Hannah saying that to him this morning. And that was the issue, was headbutting. And she literally I heard her, I was making some hash browns and eggs, and all I heard it from the living room was, Elliot, that's not what we do as a family. Right? That's that's what we say. You know, as a church, um, we've had instances where, um, man, we've had family hurt done. People leave their spouses and because of marital infidelity. And so people look at that, and they're like, is that what happens at the Refuge Church? Man, I pray not. hope that doesn't ever happen here. That's not what we do. That's like, man, that's not what we gather around here. But we're constantly... <laughs> That isn't what we do here. And that's where Paul has finally brought us. He spent three chapters in Ephesians talking to us about our identity in Christ. This is who we are, the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. And I pray that you'll know that, that there is no height, depth, length, width to the love of God, and that love is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the end of three, and he moves into four, and he says, so now live a life worthy of the calling. And he's going to start explaining what we do here. Which is so helpful because it's good to know how God thinks about us. But then there's action involved in us living out his beautiful dream for the church. And so we can actually look at the Bible and we can look at what's happening. And we can say, man, that isn't what we do here. (laughs) That's not the way we, we form and function and grow as a church, so that's the way uh, Ephes- or Ephesians four starts, and the last three chapters of Ephesians really are that. Him unpacking, after we've learned who we are, he's now going to be unpacking what we do. And so as I said in-, in four, one, it started with, "I urge you live a life worthy of the calling." He's talked about urging us to uh, unity. And harmony or generosity, being people that are giving our best to one another. But he moves to what you do, and then he starts telling us what to not do. And I want to I give us that context because often the church is just known for sitting here. What not to do, right? But he's given us a lot, right? Just remember, we are Ephesians 4, 17. And up till then, he was just lavishing on us the love of God. But that is not without Hey, there's some things you shouldn't do, okay? And so that's where we start Ephesians 4.17. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, or I think we probably have it here on the screen. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance of that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. He's not pulling punches, is he? That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need. I feel like that would just solve most of the world's problems, right? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to building up others according to their need, that it may benefit those who are listening. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then we're gonna just tag on the first two verses of chapter five, and I see this is the summary of everything he has said so far, which is this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Dearly loved children. That's who he is writing to. So, you guys ready? Ready to buckle up and get into this? Yeah, yeah. yeah they, Ephesians four seventeen. It it introduces us to a way of thinking that is foreign to Jesus' way of thinking, and he calls it the Gentile way of thinking. I'll just uh, bring us into that first verse really quick. He says, "So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live." as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. What does he mean by this? I think this is really helpful for us to unpack first, just so we realize he's just not throwing out insults at people. It's literally, and, and we can think about this, uh, the word Gentile is, it, he's just using not to uh, juxtaposition it or, or think about it as different from the Jewish way of thinking. He's thinking about it as a way of thinking that doesn't consider God at all or not the story of God that we get in the scripture, where we have a God who created the world and everything in it and redeems it in love through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. They had been living by a different story. That's what he's talking about with the Gentile way of thinking. Their imagination about the world and how it works and how we interact with one another is completely different and has no relationship with the story that Jesus tells let me, let me explain this. In, um, as I was reading, uh, one of the authors, he helped me understand more, and I hope this helps you understand, when people were walking the streets of Ephesus, you could assume some things about them because of the story that the city told and the culture within it. The city had this towering statue of Artemis over the city. Now, um, sorry, if this gets PG-13, but Artemis had a thousand breasts on her. It was this very pornographic statue, and part of the worship of Artemis was prostitution. So people would go and worship by engaging in prostitution. So that—that that it. Sorry, that's kids, plug ears. You can take him out now. Okay, I should have done that earlier. But that, that is what you can assume about the culture of this city. And so when they st- stopped thinking that way and started thinking as Christians, they stopped worshiping the god Artemis, who, being the fertility god, would express the worship of, of Artemis would be expressed in prostitution. The worship of Jesus was very different. It led to a very different life. And this is what the author says. He says, when the Gentile Christians were living out the resurrection of Jesus, literally what it says here, to the praise of his glory, Paul is pastorally alert to how easy it would be for them to unconsciously take on this new gospel, but unthinkingly fail to remove the trappings of the old culture. So we would say, man... I love the story of Jesus that I'm forgiven and I'm free, but I'm just going to keep living as I would have before. And, and it might seem extreme if we look back to Ephesus, but the same thing can happen now. Whatever we're doing before we know Jesus, we can be excited that my shame and guilt can get taken away because I, I've fallen in love with a God who has sent his own son to redeem and rescue me. <laughs> that Literally, I can, I can live with hope in front of me because of Jesus and yet I never change the way I'm living. Even though God has spoken over me, as we've read, we are meant to be the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. I am not that unless I empty myself of what I once was and fill myself up with the goodness of God. So that, that is the, the Gentile imagination he's working with here, is they thought a different way and he's inviting them to, as it moves on, to put off the old and take on the new. Now, the way this practically looked like in that day, if we turn to Acts 19, I've t- told this story a couple of times, Acts 19 actually shows us how this lived itself out. In Acts 19, I'll just tell you the story. There was a, a silversmith by the name of Demetrius, and he made a lot of money because he would make smaller images of the big image of Artemis, right? So he would, he would fashion these small images, and he, this is literally what it says in Acts 19, he says, you know, my friends, that we have received a good income from this business. So it's not just their religion, it is their economy. And he says, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia, He says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. There is is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. This this new way of thinking, those who are, are coming to Jesus, it's impacting the community because they're no longer... Whether it's buying these little images or going to the temple anymore. And it creates creates such a stir that literally Artemis and a whole group of people bring those who love Jesus to this huge auditorium and they start chanting, Kill him! That's what it looks like for for Paul to write this. As we move through these, man, this beautiful identity building you cannot even begin to imagine the love of God but as that love washes over you and through you and changes you and it makes you a different kind of person, that different kind of person might not be liked, not because you're hating people but because you're just living different because you're not worshiping the way they used to worship, Not because you're not maybe participating in what they, the community at large, participates in anymore. That thinking which is believing has turned into different action, and the same happens in our lives. The reason these Christians in Ephesus are acting different is that they have a new story. It's not the story of Zeus and Hermes and Artemis and the gods that if you read their stories, they read like pornographic novels, right? If you read these old, you know, this old mythology as we can take classes on it in school, Right? If you read that, it's in stark contrast to the way of Jesus. He doesn't just demand things from us, he actually gives us himself. He lays his life down so we can have his life and, and by that live. It's huge. It's a new story. They're walking in his way. And this shows us, I think, maybe more than anything, that what we believe matters. Not just in the hearing of it, but in the, in the accepting of it and the doing of it. <clears throat> I got my degree at WSU, Washington State University, in philosophy. And if you want to get made fun of, uh, go ahead and get a philosophy major. Um, what will people say immediately? If I said, I'm a philosophy major, what would you say? What are you going to do with that? You know, if I had a nickel for all this... <laughs> But this is it. If you look at any influential movement, any influential leader, behind him is a philosophy that is motivating them. Behind any big movement, even though you might have a charismatic person in front, they're getting fed by ideas and beliefs fed to them by what we would call a philosophy. If there's a country that enjoys freedom or a country that is closed, if you find someone who is lazy or someone who is motivated... Someone with what we would call strong morals and values or somebody who has none behind them is a philosophy, which is a way of thinking. I think these things. I believe these things. So I live this way. So I do these things. But we have just across the board in America, especially a laziness and disrespect for thinking. Right? We love our one-liners. We just throw them out and think that just solves the whole thing. But Paul has taking us literally through three chapters of helping us understand just how good and loving God is, but doesn't stop there just so we feel nice inside, but he moves us. To this, is, this is what it looks like in expression, that you would therefore put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Man, that would be good, right? In your anger, not sinning, not letting the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold, Anyone who steals should steal no longer. He just starts building out. Man, if you believe this, if Jesus has given his life for you, this is what it looks like in your life. Because if it doesn't look like this in your life, you haven't got the first three chapters. You understand just how radically you're loved by God if you do not go and live accordingly. Right? It's it's so important to understand this breakdown because... You were created. This is 4.23. It says, being made new in the attitudes of your minds, 24, and put on the new self. Listen to this. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Man, you, you thought it was like, you, you thought it was a big deal just for God to love you. You were actually made to be like God in righteousness and holiness. That's God's end game. Not for you just to be like a servant. Not for you just to feel bad about yourself. He's literally made you to be like God god in righteousness and holiness I means just one enjoying relationship with him that is the truth but does this feel possible <laughs> this feels so impossible even laughable even for those who are christians often many of us are stuck believing that we will never break free never be faithful never actually honor god but that is an old way of thinking Thinking that God will always be upset with you, that is is a bad old way of thinking. That is like an old mythological way of thinking. The the new way we find in, in Jesus is that God's affection is for us. And he wants us to come to him and live in relationship with him. That is the good news. He wants us to live a life worthy of the calling. And God believes you can when you're in relationship with him. He's not giving you something that's impossible for you, but something to do with him, in him, found in Christ. For me, this feels like if you've ever seen uh, a child who's still scared of the water, standing on the edge of a pool, and you have a a parent in the water, legs firmly planted, ready to catch the child, and they're saying, what, jump. All reason should tell that child, like, "I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. Like, I'm going to, and this is, this is where we stand oftentimes as, as even Christians who are, we haven't, we're not really jumping into trust, not jumping into his love, not going for it where God's going, man, I want you. I'm going to receive you. Just give your all to me. We're, we're waiting. And so it still seems impossible, laughable, that we actually could be with him and like him. I can't say enough that the Bible Tells a different story than the story you probably tell yourself most of the day. Tells a better story. I want to read these things that the Bible says you can do in Christ. You can do because of God's love and who He is for you. Just let this sink into you. They're written in questions. Maybe these are questions you can ask yourself. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? It's Philippians 4. Why should I worry about my needs when I know that God will take care of all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? It's also Philippians. Why should I fear when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind? Why should I lack faith to live for Christ when God has given me a measure of faith in Christ? Why should I be weak when the Bible said the Lord is the strength of my life and that I will display strength and take action because I know God? Why should I allow Satan control over my life when he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Why should I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in victory? Why should I lack wisdom when I know that Christ became wisdom to me from God and gives wisdom to me generously when I ask him? Why should I ever be in bondage knowing that Christ has set me free and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Guys, this is this is true for us. Why should I feel condemned when the Bible says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? Why should I feel alone when Jesus says... He is with me always and he will never leave me and never forsake me. Why should I feel like I am cursed when the Bible says that Christ rescued me from the curse of the law and that I might receive his spirit by faith? Why should I feel worthless when Christ became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God? This is good stuff. This is the the truth. This is the story. This is the story that they started believing. Man, why should I feel condemned when Christ is the one who has liberated me? There's no condemnation from those in Christ Jesus. Why should I feel powerless when God has exerted all his power, showed all his glory in rescuing me? And so that's what Paul's saying here when he says don't get caught up in the Gentile way of thinking. Don't get caught up in that old story again Where the gods are angry with one another and and they're trying to figure stuff out and they're taking their anger out on you and don't get wrapped up in thinking God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, expressing Jesus in the flesh, dwelling among us, is petty. He is not. He has higher standards in his holiness that you could ever reach, but he's brought himself down, it says in Philippians 2, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant so he can raise us up with him so we can... As it says here, we can be restored in the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God thinks great things of you. He really does. And he invites you to depart. You were created for that. Why should I feel like a failure when I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me and gave himself up for me? There is so much we can unpack in here, especially in his advice on how to live this out. I just want to leave you with Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, though, because for all these things to understand, these little, you know, he says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. He just kind of, like, draws us in to simply this. Follow God's example, therefore. <laughs> And he really means that. He's not saying follow his example, you're never going to do it. You know, he says follow your example, therefore, his dearly loved children. Now, (laughs) if I invite Elliot to follow my example as my dearly loved child, I've got a longer stride, I can do more things. But in that invitation, I'm not going to keep looking back at it and be like, gosh, you really screwed that one up. Right? The square block doesn't go in the circle, okay? No, no, what am I going to do? It, as, as him being my dearly loved child, I'm going to invite him to follow my example and it says, "And walk where, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God." The old way of thinking is a way of thinking that you are trying to earn the love of God. The new story, the story that these Ephesian believers believed, which made them stop buying those little idols, living according the other way. The new story they believed is they were loved by God. They didn't have to earn it. They were loved by God. And when they came to faith in Jesus and he restored them to that righteousness, that holiness in God, that they were identified simply as people who were loved by God. Very simple, right? And that that, that knowing then transforms our doing. So, the big question of the day, what is keeping you from living the new life? The answer is simply this. You can't live differently than you believe. You know, summarize this whole thing. A lot of us still just believe that we're trying to earn the love of God. And we probably talked about this like every other Sunday, right? I mean, this is like the big idea. Of, of what, so many of us, we, we still, you know, we, we read our Bibles, but we are still believing the story that we believed before, right? I'll never add up, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. And yet the story is better than you could ever ask or imagine. So my invitation to you this week, I'm going to um, I'm going to post these, these questions on our Facebook page. If you don't have Facebook, you can email me. I'm proud of you if you don't have Facebook, but um, I'll post them on there, and just go through and find one of those statements, one of those questions. Find maybe one of those verses and, and memorize it and just own that this week. It could be that, man, I, I'm not condemned because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm not alone because Jesus promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. I, you know, just that you will start hearing, believing that, that new and that better story. Be open to God showing you how that believing will change the way you are living now. That's really simply what he's talking about here in verses 17 to, to 5 two is, is he's just going, you, we've talked about what you can believe and it actually impacts the way you live. All of it, right? And that might, that might put you at odds with people you work with. I don't know if you're like, man, I'm just, my heart's in a different place now. Yeah, you just start talking about that. Man, the way I interact with my family, I'm just, I'm different because I'm believing a story where I'm not, I'm not just trying to live, trying to get love. I am love. And now I can be more generous with that, you know? Um, So I'll post these things and just invite you just to think of how is my believing and impacting my living. So much of us, it's like climbing uphill with boots on in the mud because we aren't believing. We're just trying to live, right? I mean, I hear these do, 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 and I'm like trying to do it. And yet you just don't know that God's like the whole way cheering you on. Like he's, he's, like cheerleader number one, like excited for you to, he's not waiting for you to do it on your own, but to believe the message he's done it for you in Jesus, you're loved by him, and your life from here on out can be lived and identified with him who created you to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You're loved. Amen? Okay, let me pray for us. God I, I pray that we'll really hear what you're saying today. Uh, I think probably many of us just get scared when we hear the word "do," because we're tired of trying to do do it. And I, and I, I pray that we will just hold on to Ephesians 1 through3 as we move on, and, and you're inviting us to, to live courageously, confidently, loved. And that does impact the way we treat other people. The way it impacts the way we live in this community. I pray that you'll help us see the way that we have grown up thinking and ways that thinking hurts us and that we'll think different because of the true story of Jesus. God, we need your help with all these things because we're still, at the end of the day, children and you're our father. Please teach us your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.